Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the development cycle for Baldur's Gate 3. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we like to talk about games. And um, and this is an interesting... I mean, I, I've been playing Baldur's Gate pretty much nonstop for two weeks, as much as I possibly can. Obviously, you had Gen Con for that first week of Baldur's Gate, but then over the last week you played a bunch of Baldur's Gate... Yes, yeah, over the last week I played, like, let me, let me see. Do, do, uh, do, do, uh, 12 hours, which isn't crazy, okay. but it's, it's a lot. Sure, yeah. Um, I think I'm at, like, 60 hours or something like that, but also, theoretically, I've played in a couple of different, multi, like, maybe I'm, at like, 40 hours in my main game, something like that. Um... I don't want to talk too much about the actual game. I think people are still working through it. You're obviously wor still working yeah. through it. There's a lot of spoiler stuff, and I, I have to I have to say just like off the bat something about Baldur's Gate that I truly believe it is so good if you just approach it neutrally, right? I think looking some stuff up maybe after the fact. I've done this a little bit where I've kind of checked a, a hypothesis. Um, like after I've exited an area and I wonder, Hey, I wonder if there was something to this like piece and maybe I'll like look at, look into that or whatever. Um, but I think that the game comes alive when it allows you to just sort of experience it on your own and figure this stuff yeah. out on your own. Right. It is way more fun in my opinion. Um, I want to preserve that for, for people. So I don't want to talk too much about the specifics of the actual game itself outside of just, you know, kind of like the, the early open experience. The thing that I'm interested in when it comes to Baldur's Gate for at least today's podcast is this conversation I've been seeing on Twitter, on Reddit, on some other places um, where uh, sort of the success of Baldur's Gate is... Uh, it's kind of asking people to think a little uh, differently about the the nature of how games are made, right? Excuse me. Um, I think there's a lot of folks who look at Baldur's Gate and they're like, why can't every game be like this, right? Like, that seems to be like a really common um, sort of idea uh and but like the more i actually think about the specifics of what our world would look like if everybody kind of copied the baldur's gate style uh it kind of be interesting and bad in my in my opinion i guess that's sort of my thesis yeah i mean it's, it's, it's interesting to see because I, I there's there's like i think there's like a little bit more nuance to this but like some of that's just kind of like you know it is what it is right like um because I think I generally agree with you that it wouldn't be the greatest thing in the world, but um, I do think I do think people also make a lot about. I, th I think there are also some people who are too quick to excuse some of this stuff. So you know, it'll be interesting to to, to see how how we break this down. Because like, I do think that like live service games in perpetuity is also not a great way for gaming to go. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't think it has to be either or but you know there's there's some stuff here right so why, why don't you launch into into your point then okay so um just to like set the stage a little obviously Baldur's Gate is the biggest game I'm like right it's, it's one of those like 
It's breaking all these records. The highest concurrent players this team has ever seen two weekends in a row, right? Um, which is pretty, which is pretty insane, pretty huge. Um, it is sort of the, you know, it's funny because it is in two different ways a trilogy capper, right? It is both the third game in the Divinity Original Sin trilogy, essentially, right? Um, made in the same engine by the same developers, Um but it is also the third Baldur's Gate game, the first and second Baldur's Gate's games, uh, obviously coming out essentially 20 years ago, right? right. Um, the big, I think, crazy news about, about Baldur's Gate kind of blowing up in this way um, is that it definitely shows this, like, sort of rabid hunger for really, like, deep and, and, and thoughtful, like, single-player experiences, right? I feel like we've been seeing this with Dark Souls. I feel like we've been seeing this in other sorts of places, right? It's it's pretty Season clear that Kingdom. there is a... Yeah. Um, and something that we had talked about a little bit with the Diablo... I feel like I'm eating a little bit of crow here, I guess, is really what I'm trying to say. When we were talking about the Diablo stuff, I was saying that, look, development budgets are so fucking huge that making money on a huge project like this seems pretty tough these days, right? When I think about if I'm a mid-level publisher like Square Enix or something like that, right? Um, when I'm thinking about the kinds of projects that I'm, that I'm taking on, a lot of those are, a lot of that, those dollars are kind of getting cannibalized by essentially people like me, right? In the indie space, it's pretty easy for people to make a, you know, a purchase at the $20 range on an indie title that feels pretty relevant to their interests, something like Slay the Spire, right? Um, and it is a bigger ask to do a bigger, you know, purchase on anything that really you know, that that would kind of come out from these other sorts of publishers. And at the time, I had said a bunch of different things, and I sort of talked about how this seems to be why Diablo 4 is going with this sort of transitioning from that big upfront cost to, uh, like, the games-as-a-service kind of long-term model, essentially, right? Because uh, now they're doing battle pass with their, with their, with their seasons. Um, feels like Baldur's Gate has been... Tears of the Kingdom has been... You know, like these are huge premium one-time drop games that just sort of do the do the job and give you everything that you're kind of looking for, right? Um, other examples of this are obviously stuff like uh, Elden Ring, but I also even think that um, uh, even some more modest stuff that has slipped through the cracks, like uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor or like Hogwarts Legacy. Um, all that stuff has also kind of been doing pretty good too. So I actually feel like the real story of the last two years has kind of been that these big single player games, there's there is something to them, and they're kind of working in like a in like a a, a normal ish way. Um, but that has this side effect where it seems as though players are suggesting that the the Baldur's Gate sort of model. For how to develop a game and how to and how to like make a game um, is like a standard that they want to replicate, which I don't know if that's true or fair to the game. I feel I don't know. I feel like I just like rambled really hard. Really, what it seems is that um, really what it seems is that. There's a lot of people who look at Baldur's Gate and then compare it to other unfavorable titles and go, why couldn't this be that? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I mean, it it, it does. Um, and, uh, I mean, I think there are some legitimate arguments to that and some that are less legitimate, right? Like, the thing that pops into my mind is uh, Final Fantasy 16 
very popular, sold well, but apparently disappointed the investors in Square Enix because it didn't, like, beat out, like, I guess, Final Fantasy VII Remake or something. Like, essentially, it sold a lot of units, but, like, not enough to make the investors happy. And, like, maybe there's, like, an issue there, like, you know, because as far as I know, like, um, like, are movie companies publicly traded um, uh, yeah, some of them, like uh, like Disney or whatever. Okay, yeah, I guess like Disney and I guess Netflix counts. But like typically the production, like the, the actual like, not the production houses, but like the studios that make the movies tend to not be. Right? Like people oh, like I the, see what you're saying. Yes, true. So what what uh, a lot of the times what will happen is a, um, uh, a director's personal sort of company will get hired to make the project. So for instance, for Netflix... I don't know, like the Zack Snyder one, I think they're called Stonecutter. Like, it is Stonecutter Pictures, right, which is Zack Snyder produced movies that he directs, right, is it has a contract with Netflix to distribute Stonecutter movies, right? Or um, uh, Amblin Entertainment would be another easy one, right? Amblin is Steven Spielberg's company. Amblin Entertainment cuts deals with whoever, Warner Brothers Universal, right, to distribute the pictures that it creates. Yeah, um, and... Uh like I, I I guess is is Larian the publisher on Baldur's Gate three as well, or is somebody else? The oh, that's a good question. Because um, I feel like Larian is the publisher. They, they might be, but like they're in this kind of space where they, they they kind of can be, right? Like it feels like, and you know, um, Final Fantasy sixteen was in house, right? Um, yeah, they are the publisher, by the way. Okay, that makes sense, right? Like I, I feel like somebody like a Paradox or a Larian, which is like small enough. To like be able to kind of like guide their own destiny can get away with these kinds of things, where it's like um, an in-house published title from like a publicly held publisher is going to have a tougher time. In the same way that I think that there's issues with like in like you know in-house Disney movies and in-house Netflix movies that like you know uh, basically the Marvel movies have to be blockbusters, right? Like Disney lost something like four hundred ten million dollars last year, um, uh, and uh, and you know, like that—that's gonna put a cap on stuff. Like that. Like I'm—I'm I'm not describing an, an opinion on this. Just kind of like that's like kind of like why I think some of these. Like the answer to the question: Why can't every game be Baldur's Gate? I think the answer is because there are other pressures, right? Like Larian has the freedom to say we are going to invest the money that we made on the previous two popular games um, in a in a what is effectively a moonshot because we're convinced that we can sell this game and make a decent profit off of this, whereas, like, um, like typically publicly held corporations just don't have the tolerance for that level of risk. Um, yeah, so an interesting thing that is sort of a side tangent, but you brought up something that's kind of interesting and relevant to these strikes that are going on uh, with the Writers Guild and the Screen Actors Guild. Um, a box office pundit who I like quite a lot. His name is Scott Mendelson. Um, he was sort of talking about how net, or I'm sorry, streaming companies becoming their own kind of content production and delivery mechanisms um, has kind of fucked with the way that Hollywood politics and money works, right? Because with Hollywood, it's it is a it is a culture of third parties, right? Everybody is working for somebody else, and therefore. There's a lot of publicity to numbers, essentially, right? So, for instance, let's say I am, um, uh, let's say I'm Nick Kroll, right? Um, Nick Kroll has a production company. His production company is, uh, 
I don't know. It's like like good for business or something like that. Whatever whatever the name is uh, uh, of of his production company is Nick Kroll's production company makes the show Kroll Show. Okay, and then he sells that show to Comedy Central, who orders a certain number of episodes, basically bankrolls the kind of the project. Right, Comedy Central, you know, puts the puts the project up. They're they have to report, you know back to Nick Kroll, what the ratings are, um, essentially, on all that. All that is pretty public information, right? Because these are two different business entities, Nick Kroll on one end, Comedy Central on the other, who have to do business with one another, and so they have to kind of be honest with one another about, like, their revenue. The thing about Netflix that is interesting is that Netflix is kind of subsuming the job of what Nick Kroll used to do, right? And is keeping its numbers much more in-house, right? Um, which is why they're striking, essentially, because streamers don't release numbers, like analytics data. They don't release the numbers on which you could base residuals if you were, like, a writer or something like that. And so nobody really kind of knows how well some of this... you. Know, excuse me, how well some of this stuff does at Netflix because they're not they're not public about that information. And not being public about that information is exactly the thing that kind of the writers and actors seem to be striking over because they want they want the AMT uh, the AMPTP to release that data, which could theoretically destroy their their business. Uh, if it is revealed, and a lot of people think this is true. If it's revealed that the the shows that they're making are loss leaders, right, um, and that the money that Netflix has been investing into this kind of stuff is kind of just like pouring money down the drain, if that makes sense, um, that's a that's a different sort of like relationship. But it's just it's sort of inter interesting and tangential, and I wanted to explain a little bit about that because I had just done the uh, sort of just done the research. The thing that's interesting is that Larian is on the opposite end of that spectrum, right? People t actually tend to look at oh, there's no interference from a publisher right there's no voice from on high which is not technically true larian did have a voice from on high and that voice was wizards of the coast right they are playing around in the wizards ip but hasbro is not publishing this project right hasbro is licensing the project to larian yeah to, larian to make. paid the license right like it, they, they have wizards has less control because it's not a wizards project it is a larian project that has licensed out wizards, right? Like, there's probably some agreements, you know, there's some, like, you know, what's the word? Like, like Faerun probably has to, like, you know, stay within the Faerun-ness of Faerun, but, like, otherwise, they're probably pretty free to do what they want. Um, yeah, I mean, there have been good versions and bad versions of this. Um, something that happened a couple of years ago that was pretty funny was there was a version of this with Marvel Studios where Marvel movies had to kind of get approval for the stuff that they were doing from the comics end of the business, um, which was just kind of insane boardroom politics, right? Um, and notoriously kind of the council of people who were involved in that uh, were slow, they were indecisive, they were, you know, kind of like catty, and, um, and eventually Marvel Studios was able to kind of free itself from those shackles, right? Um, so that's kind of a bad example of that sort of relationship, but there's also been good examples of that sort of relationship as well, right? Games Workshop, I actually would say, is that, right? Um, I would actually make the argument that Games Workshop is more a company built around IP licensing than it is a company built around 
miniature war games, right? Yeah, um, I was because saying, like, the idea that War Games Workshop is a good example of this is kind of contentious. You know, have you heard of If the Emperor Had a Text-to-Speech Device? No. What, what is that? So, If the Emperor who had... if if the emperor had a text speech device, it was like a fan thing, right? It was like a funny parody. It's like the idea is like one of the, I think it's a death of his custodies, like installs a text to speech device on the golden throne and the emperor can finally talk again. And he's like, what the shit, right? And it's a comedy series, right? Oh, I see. But, oh, but then, but then they were litigious about this is what you're saying? Games Workshop at some point, like put out a new set of like content, like creator rules, and they were extremely restrictive. And so basically everybody abandoned like, you know, um, uh, I think the guy who does that is doing like a hunt show. No, um, World of Darkness uh, thing now because like Paradox was like Paradox paid him to do it, right? Like because they were like, "You're not doing Warhammer anymore. Come work for us, right? Like we'll we'll you know we'll help you out with that." But like the the thing there being yes, the the point being that you know like Games Workshop, I will I will agree is pretty good on its license stuff, but like that also like. Has yeah, really, really what I'm coin. really what I'm talking about is the the way that Fat Shark the the two games I know of this are Fat Shark, which does Vermintide, Dark Tide, and games. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Creative Assembly, who does Total War Warhammer. Right? Um, they talk about having very deep partnerships with you know Games Workshop and how Games Workshop is really close to uh, those projects in particular, even though they're doing the same thing. Right? It's just a licensing fee technically. Um, you know, because Games Workshop is easy to deal with, um, I would argue that the, those two projects really benefit, right? Like, I think sure. Vermintide and Total War Warhammer 3 are both very true-to-form sort of representations of the Warhammer IP. And I bet a lot of that has to just kind of, like, do with Games Workshop being easy to work with when it comes to, uh, you know, like, their IP licensing um, to, I, you know, in fairness, other big companies, right? Like, not to <laughs> not not to content creators, right? So, I, I, um, I, I, do you want to jump back to the Netflix thing real quick just because, like, something occurred to me, right? I was recently sure. also listening to something about this from Rob Long, who he was a writer on Cheers and thus... He's a member of the Writers Guild. And his opinion is basically, like, Netflix fucked the pooch by, like, making their own content, right? The stuff that, like, streams the most is, like, reruns of Suits, right? Like, like reruns of network television are always the biggest things on, like, these streaming services. Um, and basically because Netflix decided it was going to, you know, because they were afraid that everybody else was going to come and steal their business, they went through made their own content. Um, and this was a mistake. But we, we, we've talked previously about how... Um, about how uh, Netflix doesn't give notes, right? Like that's a thing, right? Yeah, that was a, that was a famous thing that that was really attractive to creators. Um, I, to be fair, this is really old information. It's possible Netflix has started yeah. giving notes, uh, but uh, a, a bunch of people have talked about this. Um, David Fincher said he liked working with Netflix, uh, specifically on House of, House of Cards, which was the show he developed for Netflix because they didn't have they didn't give him notes. Uh, Max Landis talked about Netflix not doing notes for. I want to say Dirk Gently, right? Was the yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, you know, was the show that he was working on for the, or maybe it was Bright, you know, which was obviously also a Netflix project um, that he that he wrote. Um, yeah, so a bunch of people have said Netflix doesn't give notes on uh, on its on its projects. It kind of just like lets its creators run wild. Yeah, just, just I think I'm pretty sure it was Dirk Gently because I think Max was the showrunner on Dirk Gently, whereas like Bright, he sold the script and it pretty famously yeah, he sold the script to yeah David Iyer who. Yeah. Uh, yeah, changed it a lot. <laughs> yeah, changed it a lot. Right, like Max Landis won't call it, say it's butchering because he refuses to like do it that way. But like you know, that's kind of like the uh, the thought, right? Like this is like it's very different than his original vision. But point being is the Rob Long take is kind of like 
Netflix Netflix's fundamental model is they don't actually care about engagement with the content. They want a piece of content that will get you to sign up and then hope that you forget about that you're signed up for Netflix and aren't actually using it that much. Right. And so they don't actually care about the quality of the content so much, just like that they can pull people in and then like drop it after two seasons. This is like a thing that like the only Netflix show that like runs for longer is like Stranger Things. And that's basically it. Um, yeah. In other words, you do a bunch of one off stuff. Um, either things that are naturally one-offs or things that could last for longer, they just cancel after two seasons. Um, I think there's an economics reason on that too, right? Like, like, like well, yeah, because also uh, syndication is what TV shows are typically looking for, right? Essentially, yeah. um, in the age of cable, reruns became a big a big deal, and cable companies wouldn't take rerun packages that didn't have a certain number of episodes, which was why 22 episode seasons were sort of standardized because I think it was 90 or 100 episodes or something like that was what was what people were looking for. So if your show got to five seasons, six seasons, right? Now you're Cheers, right? You're The Simpsons. Well, Simpsons is kind of a bad example. It's so insane. But like your Cheers, your Seinfeld, your Friends, you're, you're one of these sort of shows. Now what you can do is you can sell that so in, show into syndication. So I sell the, the syndication rights of two friends to Comedy Central. Comedy Central is going to run Friends reruns on its, you know, whatever, Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. or something, when just doesn't have anything better to show, basically. Um, and you as an actor are getting residuals for those reruns, and you're getting those for life, right? So what an, an actor's kind of way to payday was, was to get on a show that gets to syndication. Um, and basically they just, you know, they're printing money for the rest of their lives based on that. Netflix kind of destroys that model yeah. in a lot of ways uh, because people don't watch TV and the complex nature of, again, third parties, right? Having to be honest with your books in order to make deals with different parties, right? You know, uh, friends developed by, I don't even fucking know, whoever, right? Sold to NBC when it's airing originally and then syndicated on Comedy Central, like all of these different third parties triangulating with one another to, to you know, like pick up the rights to this sort of stuff. Um, those mean that you have to be honest with people about what your ratings are or else you're committing fraud, right? But Netflix doesn't really have to do that and can kind of just sort of lie um, about how much stuff is getting, you know, like getting watched, getting seen or whatever else. Um, yeah, I mean, by there's, all there's sorts also of, kind of a question of like, what does a residual even mean? Right, like, well, yeah, yeah, this is exactly the thing. For instance, you get a residual. I mean, it, it's crazy. You get a residual if a you know, a Nielsen family that keeps a little notebook of all the TV there they're watching. It's not a thing, a, it's not a notebook. Any, my parents were Nielsen people for like a hot minute, like a couple years ago. Well, no, 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 this is what I mean. Yeah. In like the in the 70s, oh, right? Okay, yeah, you yeah. know, this is how residuals work. Uh, some family writes down that they're watching your show, and then that gets extrapolated out to however many million people by Nielsen, which is his own independent agency, and then Nielsen is verifying. You know, it's like there's all of that kind of thing. Well, now Netflix has theoretically the most accurate numbers but right but like what if i what if i watch the first episode but no others right what if i watch 20 minutes of the first episode what if I, what if i watch 10 when does the residual kick in right like those are questions that have real answers we didn't used to be able to track that stuff just because of technological limitations but now we do what do you do with that right i think those are all like really well, complicated questions that theoretically the strike is trying to put to rest also just from like an economic standpoint right like the reason a residual at some level makes sense is because if you're watching a show you're exclusively watching that show along with the ads that go along with it and so theoretically you can like like skim a piece of that ad revenue off the top and make you know the the 
the entire business is, is profitable for everybody, right? Like, you know, the, the network gets to keep enough of it that it's worth for them to run it, and the residuals go to the actors, and they're not, like, driving the network bankrupt because they're taking too much of that piece of pie. Um, Netflix, I think, has ads now, but, like, for a long time it didn't, right? And so, like, what is, what is watching one episode of, let's say, Friends mean, right? Does that mean that if that's the only thing you watch that much, are you entitled to, like, 40% of your $15 subscription, right? If... It was one of like if you watched you know 700 episodes that month right are you uh, you know you know entitled to like 40 percent of like the 15 cents that that like you know timeshare indicates right like how like you can't like the the economics of it can't make sense in a way like don't make sense in the same way and so it's like even if even though the data is there like the economic reality of it just kind of doesn't match up one to one, if that makes sense, right? Like, you you can't guarantee that it's going to be profitable, essentially. Yeah, it is also Netflix kind of, essentially tripped over a gold mine, right? Because however many years ago, um, people didn't really understand how huge streaming was going to get. Yeah. This is specifically around the turn of the 2010s, right? Um, and so the rights to specifically like The Office, Arrested Development, and some of these TV shows that Netflix were able to pick up, they were able to pick up those rights for dirt cheap, right? But when those contracts started expiring, right? And they had picked up these contracts at like really... The, the funny thing was the, the contracts were a writer... I don't remember why I know this history, but the contracts were the writer. Netflix was still a DVD sending you in the mail company, right? And what they were negotiating for was they were negotiating for bulk printings of D and D of DVD discs of these shows seasons because that was sort of their business at the time. And as a writer on that contract, they wanted to get the digital, um, uh, the digital sort of syndication rights, right? Um, and so I. I, I don't know what number this is in my head, but the number in my head is six hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? Which is what I think they what I think they paid for like The Office or maybe Arrested Development to stream one of those titles, a title that would go on to be absolutely fucking insane for Netflix, right? Uh, obviously, that did the, you know that that, that gold mine caught mined real quick. People realized how valuable the streaming rights to their to their products were, um, and now you have. Netflix is paying $100 million to get Seinfeld, right? Or whatever it is. Um, and I think that that's the big problem, is that the price for, for Netflix was sort of determined before the, you know, like before the real cost for some of this stuff came to the fore. And now it's Netflix is kind of paying the piper. They also took some really aggressive loans. Um, you know, they borrowed when they were still a hundred fifty million dollar company. They borrowed a, a billion dollars to make content, uh, which is, to be fair, the I think the right move for them as a company. But that was a, this a really aggressive loan that I that I kind of think just like leveraged the the entire company on this sort of thing. I don't know. We'll see. This is like right of strike stuff, which is yeah, yeah. which is kind of different from Baldur's Gate. But I do think that it, it like ties in in the sense that like the money behind this stuff drives a lot of this sort of decisions. And I think the real thing that. I would say gamers are missing about the conversation when it comes to Baldur's Gate, right? Is you don't want this is my was my thesis. You don't want the Baldur's Gate development cycle because if a worse studio than Larian, right? Which we would probably say if I'm a gamer, I think most studios are bad. I typically am angry at developers. I think developers are mean, you know, that they they you know, they're greedy, they're money grubbing, right? Like this is probably what a lot of players think about a lot of video game companies, right? 
if you sort of give them the tools that Larian had without sort of the trust that Larian had built up, you're in for a pretty bad time. Because Baldur's Gate was in early access for two years. And early access... Oh, three years? I think so. I think it's like... I think it can't... Didn't it... Wasn't it released in like 2020 or something? Okay, yeah. I actually do want to... Want to. I mean, I know it was in development for six years, right? They started development in 2017. Um, how long was Baldur's Gate 3 in early access? Uh, da, 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 da. uh, 6 October 2020, so just under three years. Okay, just under three years, right? So that on thing was Stadia, in... Or, or, you know, I shouldn't talk about that, never mind. Uh, oh, it was on Stadia? <laughs> yeah. Um, no. So this, this is where I, I, I guess I should say, I work for Google. I do not work on anything related to or adjacent to Stadia. Um, but I probably shouldn't make fun of Stadia. Um, <laughs> well, didn't technically... Yeah, well, I, I'm not going to press... Uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I probably can't answer the question. Um... Not that I know anything more than anybody else, but, like, I'm supposed to, yeah. Anyway, away from that. Um, but, yes. Yeah, okay. So, Baldur's Gate 3 comes out in early access, and it's in early access for three years, which is sort of, like, I kind of feel like if you are the kind of gamer who thinks pre-orders are bad, this is a pretty typical thing. People say, don't pre-order games, right, because you are, you, you aren't going to get what you pay for, right? People get let down by pre-order games all the time. Pre-orders were a pretty big deal. I would say probably 10 years ago, this sort of talking point issue has fallen off. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, the typical talking point of pre-orders are bad. Early access is like the mother of all pre-orders. Are you fucking kidding me, right? A game that goes into early access is explicitly a game you're paying for, but you are paying for not the, you know, like for for like the promise of a of a released piece of content 2 or 3 years from now that's going to look vastly different than what you than what you currently have, right? Um I think that's a terrible idea for most developers and for most gamers to be to be quite honest right um and it's kind of wild to me <laughs> that no one thinks through to that that sort of it's just like i don't know the, the, it's that thing about early access is the mother of all pre-orders uh just like ruins no, my I, brain. Mean, I think the more basic version of this is that like and i don't i actually don't think there's much risk from the consumer side in this way it's it's actually like if you would like to kill every indie developer you want games to look like Baldur's Gate, right? Because, like, there are plenty of games that are even good, right, that will come out and, like, not make gangbusters money, right? And if they have been in development for six years, right, and, you know, developer took a loan or something or, like, you know, like, they're not going to survive that if it doesn't, you know, like, Baldur's Gate is, is, like, breaking records, and that's why this works. And they were confident in that, and they probably had enough capital from the first two games and, like, enough fan goodwill. Like, these things together allow them to do Baldur's Gate 3 correct, right? Um, like, you could, like... Actually, I think the easy thing to point to is, like, Cyberpunk 2077, which might be good in a month when, like, you know, Phantom Liberty comes out, right? Like, um... Uh, like, like, you know, Cyberpunk had... Cyberpunk 2077 is, like the dark mirror version of Baldur's Gate 3, right? Had all the hype, <laughs> yeah. right? And, like, just kind of, like, wasn't there on launch, right? Like, has effectively been in early access for two years while I fixed the game, right? Like, um, 
uh, No Man's Sky is another version of this, right? Like, you know. Um, uh, so that, that is what, like, the Baldur's Gate development model kind of looks like. Um, like, because it, it's, it's not like, you know, we look, it's not like Cyberpunk 2077 was, like, in, like, was, like, it had a, I think it had a longer development cycle than Baldur's Gate 3 even, right? Like, it's not just, like, you know, people can get the time. And it's fine. It's just a risky proposition, right? You need a company like Cyberpunk 2077, which is, like, still making money hands over fist on Witcher 3 in such a way that, like, they're, like, doing re-releases of it still, right? It's like the Skyrim of Eastern Europe. Um, what is the name of the Cyberpunk team? Do you remember offhand? CD Projekt Red? CD Projekt Red. With a K um, in Project. Um, uh, so, like, they... And, like, they also run GOG, right? Like, they are... That, that's, like... Also, where they're getting this is like you know, like if Half Life Three ever comes out, right? Like, will it be Baldur's Gate Three or will it be Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, right? Like, oh. <laughs> um, and like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven <laughs> might be good, right? Like Baldur's Gate Three has a bunch of bugs, doesn't make me the happiest, but also it's not big enough deal that I care that much. Right? I, th this is also the wildest thing, by the way. I wish th it's crazy to me. People are talking about this in this way. I have heard the 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 phrase, Baldur's Great Three is really polished. When I'm like, this is one of the least polished experiences I have ever played through in my fucking life. I am constantly running into bugs and issues. And frankly, I would say all of these don't matter, right? When I'm dealing with bugs, you know, like when I was dealing with bugs when we're releasing stuff with Aquapara, you know, one of the things we do is we measure intensity, right? Um, there are certain bugs that, there, there it's, it's a matrix. It is frequency by intensity, right? A high intensity bug is one that's like, it crashes your game no matter what, right? Um, a high frequency bug is it's happening to every player worldwide. A low frequency bug is it's only happening to a specific subset of players in a specific subset of circumstances, right? And you just kind of filter bugs by, okay, what are the highest intensity, most frequent bugs? And you bug fix your way sort of down from there, right? Most of the bugs I'm, I'm running into in Baldur's Gate are low intensity bugs for me i can't tell frequency obviously i don't know who else is dealing with these bugs but like it's stuff like you know a thing gets destroyed but i don't see the animation play so it looks like there's a bridge when there's not um a uh like a little visual artifact of some piece of my character you know like the way that my helm fits on my character creates these little floating rings because some piece of the artifact isn't like you know, or some artifact of that it just like isn't working in cutscenes, right? Um, it's uh, you know, we, some there are some weird. I've had weird dialogue and quest triggers um, that I think have borked some of my quests, to be honest with you. But I kind of can't know because I'm trying to keep it like spoiler free or whatever, right? But it's like you know, things where um, we'll pass into a new zone and characters will come to me and they will say just wild things. And I'm just like, what are you fucking talking about? And I realize that I have triggered some quest trigger that I that I didn't I couldn't possibly have comprehended. And I think that it's sort of bugging out. There's weird stuff with AI, um, where the AI for the game, uh, you know, if you're fighting um and you hide behind a wall, the AI won't go through the door. They will path into the wall on the other side of the thing and they just won't but they won't be able to hit you. So, like tons of stuff like that. Pathing bugs, right? Lou in the chat message. Pathing bugs are most of my bugs. I have I've run into a zillion of these, right? I, I've run not into a polished one, one very bad bug. Um, this oh really? Yes. So um, basically, like cloud syncing gets stuck. Um, like syncing the saves gets stuck, and uh, like I lost an hour of gameplay yesterday 
because they couldn't <gasps> get it to stop. Um, and I had to like go to main menu and back in, and it like had referred to me to like because it won't let you save while it's syncing. Um, wow! I, I, I since look, there's like a there's like a workaround. Basically, you turn on for anybody at home that's experiencing this. Apparently, if you just like keep toggling off on an off cloud sync, it'll eventually stop trying to sync and let you save. Um, but yeah, no, uh, that that really sucked. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, Lou says in the chat, I've started having bad cloud sync issues. First one happened at all, and now it just takes like a full minute for you to save. Yeah. Oh, I bet I know what's going on, to be honest with you. I know a lot about cloud save sync issues uh, from one of our other games. Uh, I bet the save files for this our game are huge, and big game files make for tough syncing. Uh, right, because, yeah, you know, most game files are tiny, just like, you know, whatever, like six kilobytes or something like that, right? But if the save files for this are as big as I would expect them to be, because it's such a gigantic game, right? And, you know, you're quick saving a million times exactly. Oh, I also totally... Yeah, that's I, a good I, fucking point. Oh, man. Are they syncing all of the saves? That seems like a mistake. Um. <laughs> that's what I bet is happening. It's basically, you know, the quick save servers, or I'm sorry, the cloud save servers are expecting to be dealing with very small amounts of data, and it can just really quickly go, is this this? Okay, cool. You know, move on. Most games oh, will man. work like that, but if you have a big size save, it will take a ton of time. I and wonder, you'll, yeah. I wonder if it's trying to sync the entire list of saves every time. I could believe that. Like, that sounds like a very easy way to get yourself in a lot of trouble. Um, yeah, and I bet you could run into issues where uh, maybe like, uh, I don't even know, like maybe like uh, you, you find some kind of weird conflict, right, where it doesn't know how to parse out a conflict um, with with the, like, like imagine it's taking forever to do a sync and you quick save while it's syncing, now there's a new save that it's that it doesn't recognize. Like you, I could easily see something like that, just like completely bork it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, but it doesn't let you save, which is the crazy part, right? Like, which is yeah. why I lost an hour of my. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I guess that would make sense. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. back to the battery hit. It is. It is but the thing I think when, when I think people are saying it's polished, right? When I think people are saying Baldur's Gate Three is polished, they're not actually talking about polish, right? Polish is typically what we refer to when we think of like bug fixes and like like quality of life stuff this is also by the way some of the worst quality of life jesus christ i wish i could just like sit down and like do a ux pass right to explain just some of the systems that have eaten so much of my stupid time like inventory management just like makes me want to fucking shoot myself sometimes um and uh and it's just like you know like also, not a lot of quality of life stuff, I would say, um, with how some of this stuff kind of like works, right? Like the idea that I have to talk to a companion to dismiss them, go pick up another companion in order to look at that companion's inventory, move something from A to B or like level them up or something like that. Like, you know, Owlcat, we were talking about how Baldur's Gate is orders of magnitude larger than Owlcat. Owlcat had a system in Kingmaker, its first Pathfinder game, um, that allowed you to access all of your character's inventories um, and all of your character's kind of stats pages all from one menu so that you never had to deal with kind of this, this issue of like, you know, constantly talking about getting people in and out of your, you know, getting people in and out of your party. What I think people are talking about when they're talking about polish is they're talking about the breadth of options available, yeah. right? Because I think everyone has this sort of fantasy of an RPG where you can do literally everything, right? Where you can play it like um, a tabletop. I'm, 
Right, where you can play like a tabletop, right? A lot of the, for a lot of people, the magic of a tabletop is that you there are no bounds, right? The bound is the GM, and theoretically the GM could like rocks fall, everybody dies, your character, something like that. But at the end of the day, the GM is a person, and the per and the theater of the mind is malleable, so the GM can react appropriately to sort of any decision that any individual character makes, right? Um, and in fact, I would say good role playing and good sort of interaction with a role-playing system includes players proactively doing that sort of thing, right? When players play tabletop like a video game, it tends to be pretty boring and bad because you're essentially turning yourself into just sort of like an algorithm, right? I aim at highest health tar target and I make my attack, right? And, and, you're um, and you're playing a game system which isn't particularly mechanically deep because it's built to be like human resolvable in a quick period of time, right? Like Yes, exactly, right? You know, so I'm thinking about stuff like, you know, like in one of the first D&D &D games, uh, I think I ever played with you actually i don't know if you were there for do you remember sam nastasi's uh did you ever play in his ra room i played i played a warhammer 40k game with you guys once where i was like a psyker oh yeah i also played that game uh yeah it was like you me waylon and sam and oh my god and nick, i think nick wayland yeah it would have been nick and matt right uh I think yeah that's how I yeah you're guys. right yes yeah. Because they were his residents at the time. Uh, I remember uh, we once had a we once had a game where we were hired to take out some rats, some dire rats that had burrowed into the basement of a tavern, right? Like the most basic sort of shit. Uh, I was playing a druid at the time, and I had this ability called I think it was like explosive acorn or something like that, uh, and another ability called thorn whip, or maybe it was vine whip, um, something like that. No, vine whip would be the uh, Pokemon version. It was Thorn Whip, right? Um, and I did this thing where the rats, by the way, turned out to be were rats, which was very cool at the time. Kudos to you, Sam. I know you're not listening, but whatever. Um, where I threw my explosive acorn under one of the store shelves in order to knock the shelf down and trap the rat underneath it, right? Um, and then uh, we did something with the floor. We like electrified the floor, or or it was like we broke a water cask, and then there was stuff on the floor, and then someone electrified that water, and then I thorn whipped to a thing, a rafter in the ceiling. Um, though it wouldn't be a rafter, it was a basement. Come on, Sam. Uh, a rafter and a ceiling to swing over to the bookshelf to kill the way around. It's like, that's the stuff. You can't, you can't program a computer to, to react that until now, right? <laughs> you know, like until Baldur's Gate, where kind of you can you can you can do a lot of different stuff it seems as though you know they have they have tested for so many different ways to approach any individual issue any individual any individual problem right um and it and it gives you the freedom to do that in a way that previous crpgs uh have attempted and tried to sort of uh like embody uh you know i'm thinking about like dragon age origins would be a pretty good example dragon age origins i think is a very good game uh well actually it's a true i think it's a very okay game but it's very ambitious is really what i'm going to get to and there are a lot of different ways to solve problems right you can you can you can attack things you know in a in a myriad of, of different sort of ways but the web of decisions in dragon age origins is so different than in Baldur's Gate 3. Um, and a lot of that has to do with just like their true embrace of some of the crazy stuff that you can do in D&D that is ridiculous to handle in computer games. Like the power of speak with dead. I did not quite conceptualize that power until last night when we started speaking with dead. And it's just like, holy fuck, they are real robust about this system.
Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there's been a there's been a lot of that kind of thing, right? Like, although I did get disappointed once because I found like a dead person, and I was like, "Speak with dead." And it's like this, this corpse has nothing to say to you. It's like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's stuff about the the story in Baldur's Gate that I think I have answers to. Minor stuff, to be fair. That I think I have answer suit because we chose to speak with dead on a random corpse on the side of the road and it actually explained a you know not a not a like a crucial plot point but like a crucial story beat you don't really think about it but like then you talk to this guy and he explains himself and you're like oh this is the guy that did that thing i didn't even realize but that makes total sense right like that that feeling is all over Baldur's gate which is really kind of nuts yeah and i i also enjoy that like like, like you were talking about how, like, you're not, like, you know, trying to fit, you're trying to fit your through and not look stuff up. I think it's, like, also kind of paramount because, like, there are so many things that happen in that game that's, like, you know what? It's not for this character, right? Like, I found, like, a burrow, and it's, like, it's, like, I can't fit in there. I tried shrink, like, you know, reduced person on myself, and that was still wasn't small. I was, like, you know what? This is for a character that could probably turn into a squirrel. I can't do that. I'm not going to force it, right? Like, um yeah yeah and it also has a lot of opportunities for you to feel very clever right yeah um there's a whole section of the game that i basically unlocked because i used uh it wasn't a scroll of gash's form i was just gash i think we just had a caster in the party at the time and i was just like oh i understand and we turned this guy into a gas and it just solved the whole essentially puzzle right and i and i and we were kind of halfway through figuring out that puzzle on our own i think we would have gotten there but it was just that moment of oh i think i can sort of get to the bottom of this that we did do that right um that just feels you know like that stuff just feels really good um and uh, you can jump a lot of places right like oh yeah like i there's yeah yeah I, like, got one of the party members, I think, just a touch early, because I, like, jumped from the back of something, like, across a bunch of different stuff. And it's funny, because, like, my main character is pretty good at jumping, so I usually have him jump, and then I have to, like, figure out how to waddle both of them, you know, like, whoever I'm with back to, like, the main party. Uh, but, yeah. Who, what is your, what is your main character? Um, he is, he's based on one of my Pathfinder 2 characters. He is a half-orc wizard. That I've built is kind of like a punch mage, but like he's not very good at it, but it's fine. <laughs> okay. Uh yeah, sure. Fair enough. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, I, when I when I think players are talking about polish for Baldur's Gate 3, I think that's the stuff they're yeah, talking about, right? I, I agree. That it is, you know... Uh, and to be fair, I think some of that stuff is possible because of unique stuff to our market. For instance, I don't think... I think one of the craziest things about video game development today that people don't think of or realize is the explosion in voice acting talent. Um, The ability to get your game voice acted is way easier and way cheaper today than it was 10 or 20 years ago, right? Um, which I think helps stuff like Speak With Dead, right? Uh, because part of what makes Speak With Dead so tough is you need to hire a gazillion voice actors, right? Yeah. Or you need to get time on really expensive voice actors, right? Which is really tough, right? But now um, there's a lot of voice acting talent, you know, people who want to break into the the, the wide world of voice acting. Um, and the way that they do it is by taking 
I, I don't want to say like cheap, but cheap contracts, right? For games like this, just to be additional voices, right? Or, to or be like, the corpse that says, you just know, like whatever. parts on contract. My, my girlfriend is like doing some voice acting as like a side hustle, right? Like there's a site really? that, that like just like puts up contracts for it, right? And you can audition for them. And I don't think she's done a ton yet, but it's like, it's like a thing she decided one day she wanted to try out and she just could, right? Like, you know, it's like, and I don't think a lot of that stuff is like bubbling up to the Baldur's Gate 3 level. Right, but like that kind of like baseline lets things get easier, right? And then like you know, next couple of years, um, a lot of that's gonna be replaced by like actually free AI generated voice stuff, right? Like we're like yep. you know very very reduced costs. Um, so you know it's yeah. I think one thing is the the writing costs on this stuff is non trivial, right? Um, and uh, I have also seen. I don't know. I, people are people are obviously very aggressive about ChatGPT and AI stuff or whatever. I have expressed my skepticism before on the podcast. I don't really think that AI is sophisticated enough to replace a lot of writing. Uh, but who knows? Maybe we'll maybe we'll get yeah, there. I, I, um, I think it's a force multiplier, right? It makes writing this stuff faster, right? Like you can you can ask it for a first draft, and that's faster than writing it all from your own. Uh, yeah, that is definitely true, right? Um, uh, it is it is much quicker to edit a first draft generated by something like ChatGPT than it is to uh, uh, sort of like generate something on you know like on your own. Um, and I yeah. bet like kind of the words per minute of a writer working with ChatGPT as a base is going to outpace a, a writer working on their own by yeah, especially when you have to uh, like several fold. stuff, right? Like you know, yes, um, that should be yeah. Oh, man. Uh, especially because, like, especially as someone who spends a lot of my day writing and reviewing other people's writing, your penchant for falling into, tra like, traps, or, like, not traps, but, like, uh, it's, like, euphemisms, right? Um, like, obviously, there are euphemisms that are part of my speech and the way that I structure my sentences that trickle down into my writing in a way such that um, is... You know, both unique to my writing, but it is also like a repetitive sort of thing, and uh, and you can kick yourself out of those sorts of habits by using those kinds of like tools. I think, yeah, which is really yeah. useful, right? Because um, another danger is that you 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 know you're a guy, you're sitting at a at a Jira thing, and you're looking at tasks to write the corpse speech for all of these different corpses, right? Um, you're, it's easy to get lazy with some of that stuff. Um, and so having a tool there to sort of like, I don't know, mix it up is pretty, uh, is, is pretty useful. Um, the other piece that I think is actually pretty important to Baldur's Gate 3 success, but that I also think is a, uh, it's kind of like nitroglycerin in a way, very powerful, but very volatile is, um, the community feedback that they were able to take. Right. I think a lot of what makes Baldur's Gate so successful is, are these different paths that you can, that you can take to your goals. Right. Uh, but I actually think that a lot of that has to do with having a game deep in early access that you can watch so many people play and you can get feedback from somebody that goes, I wanted to talk to that cow. Maybe that cow would have an answer for me. Right. Or I want to be able to talk to that to, to that squirrel, right? Because I think it'd be cool if that squirrel, I could use talk with animals on the squirrel, squirrel would tell me, you know, this piece of the, you know, like, of like the quest or whatever. I bet a lot of that stuff um, actually came out via playtesting. Just because when you have the ability to see what, hundreds of different players do to approach your problems. Obviously, good game design is going to shuttle those players, you know, generally speaking, onto the railroad, right? I bet most players are going to... Um... Man, I don't even know how much I can talk about. Do, do you have withers in your party? Do you know, or not in your party, but at your camp? Yes. 
Okay. I bet most people uh, are going to find a way to get withers, right? But I bet some people are going to miss him, right? And you can look at that data, right, um, in order to understand, okay, I, I get it, right? The, the People go to this part of the map and they explore this part of the story first, right? Um, in our first playthrough, we completely miss withers because, you know, we came to a lock. The lock w w had to be picked, we couldn't pick the lock at that moment, so we moved on and forgot about it, right? And we ended up hitting the Emerald Grove and getting a bunch of quests and doing all this other sort of stuff. Um, and I just think all of that is uh, is pretty interesting, pretty compelling. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I, I hit that same locked door, and uh, one of the characters said, I wonder if there's another way around. Um, and I was like, oh. And that, 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 that prompted me to go find another way around, right? Like, I bet that note is be. I bet that, that character saying that voice line is from this note, right? Like, you know, people are people are skipping, you know, like this underground chapel and all of the bandits and stuff like that in it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's... And, you know, there's like seven ways to get in there too, right? Like, how, how, how did you get in on whatever playthrough you first got in with him? Uh, I locked picked it. Well, so my my main game, I'm playing uh, Zastiel, the Tiefling Rogue, who wow. uh, is super geared out for lock lock picking. So I just picked the lock, right? Okay. Um, because there are there is thieves tools nearby. We did eventually find yeah, yeah. some thieves tools, um, and I just picked the lock, and we went right in it, and we you know we killed them. We did the whole thing. Um, and it was actually just the two of us. We didn't even have party members at the time because we hadn't because all of the party members are to to the left of that right, sort right. of area. We went and we explored that whole area, just the two of us, basically. Um, which, to be fair, was actually pretty fun and compelling because, you know, you're, like, level two, level one, maybe, um, and, uh, like, not super strong. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so all of that stuff was pretty interesting. Yeah, no, um, if you go around, stop me if you don't want to hear, but there is a, uh, there's a couple different ways to get in from the top side. Um, well, because there's the bandits, right? There are bandits. And then there's like, you can, there's, you can go through the bandits. You can, there's like a, a way down that I discovered on my way out. And then there's also like a very obvious, like a stone hanging above a crack in the floor. Um, uh -huh. And you can like shoot the rope. Like this is like I yeah. Feel like funnily enough, when I was doing that in our evil campaign the other day, where we were playing evil these evil characters, uh, Rachel's character was standing on that stone when that floor broke, and she fell into the into the next room while the rest of us were still on the top side fighting these bandits or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. No, the uh... interesting because like. That, like, falling into that hole immediately started uh, a fight with the bandits inside for me. So, you know, that was that was fun. Yep, that is what... She died pretty quickly. And then we had to finish the guys up top and then did this whole thing by killing the guys in that room in order to go bring her back to life. It was pretty funny, to be honest. <laughs> but I feel like that is, like, very true to form for sort of, like, what D&D &D is and yeah, what D&D &D yeah. kind of, like, feels like. Um, and there's a lot of, like, little puzzles. Uh, one of the neat things is achievements in, in the game. There are things that Rachel and I have figured out, like puzzles that Rachel and I have figured out that our friends haven't figured out. Um, and I can see that because I can compare the achievements. I can see, oh, I got this achievement, right? 
but I know I you know I saw that like Charles or Josh they didn't get that achievement right uh, and there's stuff that they've done that I haven't seen right because they have hidden achievements that I don't know what that achievement is but they they you know they got there and they did the they did the whole thing and I think that that kind of stuff is also like um, you know pretty interesting pretty compelling um, it's also pretty funny because um, uh, because it's dealing with like a piece of sort of the D and D lore and like Faerun and stuff like that that I'm actually not incredibly familiar with. I never liked Faerun. I never or Forgotten Realms. Right. Um. I I always liked Eberron as a as like a D and D setting. So all of the D and D games I played during my big era were playing in Eberron games. Uh. And when D and D kind of got standardized to be in Faerun and and Forgotten Realms, I had already sort of moved on to Pathfinder. Um. So it's actually kind of interesting. Like learning stuff about like the githyanki for instance right like i've sort of known about the githyanki as like a as like a you know a species that exists like a race that exists um but i never really comprehended the githyanki until this game where they're actually kind of getting like fleshed out with all of this lore that i have never seen before yeah no i mean it's interesting because i don't think i know a lot like i used to read the re salvatore books but that was all like like, there have been two Crisis on Infinite Faeruns type things that have happened um, in the interim, like, in, like, the world story lore that I just don't know about. Um, and so it's really? Yeah, like, well, I know a little bit about them, right? Like, um, okay. I think, like, Divine Magic disappears at some point and then comes back. Um, and, like, I think they, they reference this pretty early in the game, right? They talk about, like, gods that have died, um, and I think that's uh -huh. part of it. Um, and, like, I think there are, like, two big kind of resets that happen, um, which I think was, like, a marketing thing from Wizards, but, you know. Um, but, yeah, no, it's interesting. It's interesting. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm Go say, for it. I'm looking at these achievements, and there's one achievement that, like, 75% of people have, um, which involves uh, falling down a hole, which I think is vague enough to not be a spoiler. Um, and then there's another one that only 40% of players have, which is rest four times, which is, like, wild to me. <laughs> Uh, oh, I actually, so I to be fair, I to, I sort of get that. I have done so much in this game without resting. We did the entire goblin camp, I think, without taking a rest, including like boss fights, really difficult battles or whatever. But just like Rachel and I, really hate long resting. And to be fair, I think that part of that is a um. Uh, yeah, I'm playing with Gale and I'm a wizard, so like you know half of our resource, and I also have Shadowheart, right? So like. You need to reset those spell slots every once in a while. Yeah, like, I, I think part of my thing is I hate the idea of um, easy... Uh, so, Pathfinder did this in, in a way that I liked quite a lot, right? Which is that, like, you have to tackle problems... Or, I'm sorry, like, Kingmaker, right? The Owlcat games. You have to tackle problems without resting too much, or else the problems... Be, like, the, the severity of the problem increases, right? Yeah. Um, it is non-trivial to just you know, to, to rest if you're clearing a dungeon, right? Uh, on the, in the last dungeon that I did in Kingmaker, I did that in two days, like two rests, right? I cleared half the dungeon, I went outside, and I cleared the other half of the dungeon. Um, and, uh, and stuff like traps resets, monsters respawn, you know, like all of this other sort of stuff that just like make it tough for you to sort of like come back. Um, and I feel like Baldur's Gate... Um, makes it very easy to, to sort of just rest at will, which is probably good in like a sort of player agency sense. Cause I do think that you, I, I think the experience for you as a wizard probably is worse if you can't long rest all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, at least with but, 
Yeah, but like to me, it sort of feels like uh, I don't know. There's some stuff um, that I've just like noticed. Like so, for instance, something that that you can do um, inside of a long rest, you can just go to your party and recruit different characters, right? You use up all of Shadowheart spell slots. You go recruit Gale, oh, bring him for out. the rest yeah, of your yeah. day, right? Um, uh, or something that we did once. Uh, actually, I think this happened in the Goblin Camp. To be fair, so we did abuse a a kind of exploit in a way not really an exploit um which was we we went back to the camp dropped one of our party members picked up Shadowheart, and then walked Shadowheart over to that party member and just he, he did big aoe healing on everybody outside of combat right prayer of healing just like is a big giant heal to get kind of get every and it was just like Shadowheart was never in the party but we used all of her spell slots um or not all of her spell slots we probably used like two or three spell slots right just to top the party off kind of as like a makeshift short rest in a way um before going back down and like fighting more guys right uh but in general i like the um uh, in general, I like the sort of fantasy that, listen, if we're going and we're attacking this goblin camp, we're attacking this goblin camp. We're not abandoning it and coming back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, like when you're doing the dungeon, you don't, you, you have the option to short rest. I think that's, that's kind of the, the idea behind short rest and that's what makes short rests cool and interesting kind of as a design feature um but um you know it feels it feels very weird to me when we're like deep in the thick of it and oh i'm just gonna pop out to camp right and we're, we can we can just like take a long rest in the middle of all of this action and drama yeah no i mean i i agree mostly but like it's you know it's uh i don't know it's interesting you talk about doing the goblin camp you and I probably have very different experiences with the Goblin Camp. Oh, I have I have done the Goblin Camp three different times at this okay. point. So uh, the way that we did the Goblin Camp as essentially a dungeon by just killing everybody uh, was the second time I did the, the Goblin okay. Camp. Uh, and then the third time we did the Goblin Camp, we did it also. Well, the third time they did, we did the Goblin Camp, we did it pretty straightforward, but just with a different effect. Uh yeah, yeah, I'd rather have the option than have to redo an hour of the campaign because one fight went poorly in Dream Riders. Yeah, no, I mean, but I think that that's like, like Louis says in the chat this, sorry. Um, I think that's fair, but I also think that's like, well, I think that's what you're getting at, buddy, right? Like, you know, you should have to, you, you know, that's the thing that you want to fall back on when you have to rather than um, a thing that, you know, you want to. Yeah, really what I'm explaining is my philosophy. I yeah. think our philosophy behind me and me and Rachel taking very few long rests right is is sort of this immersive thing because i think that the thing you know i, I don't want to talk too much about like the quality of the game we're going to do another podcast yeah. actually talking about like the game itself or whatever but to me baldur's gate 3 is sort of the second coming of skyrim in feeling right um in the sense that it is about that feeling of just total sensory immersion right and just losing yourself in hours and hours of this game because it so effortlessly creates a world around you right um you know we played uh you know we played that evil campaign this weekend we must have played for 10 hours straight right and it's just like it's so easy to do that with with Baldur's Gate and the last time I really had that feeling um was with Skyrim and I think it's the magic of Skyrim right I've talked about Skyrim being one of the greatest games of all time for that reason um and so um I think that really what I the, my, the 
what I'm describing sort of the cornerstone of this sort of like philosophical underpinning um, rather than a recommendation because I understand that there are players who are different than me and are probably interfacing with the game in different ways, right? Like one of the things that I recommend at the top of the podcast is to not spoil yourself on everything and figure it out for yourself because I think that's really fun and rewarding. But I also understand that there are players who I am friends with, right? Um, who are the kinds of players who look things up and are on the subreddit and are talking, you know, like I have a friend who went to withers and respect Shadowheart because if you make Shadowheart a different domain of cleric she's actually a much more powerful cleric and a better like member of your party and stuff like that it's like i would never do that are you kidding i would never want to do that she is a specific follower of a specific god and her trick or er, er, trickery domain is a specific sort of manifestation of that god right it is lore breaking you know in a way to me um to want to take Shadowheart and make her a different, you know, like make her a different version of a cleric. But I understand that there are players who are not like me and they interface with the game differently. So I understand why the systems are as they are. It actually sort of reminds me of uh, Fallout New Vegas had this. They had survival mode, right? Which was a, a specific difficulty mode that added a bunch of riders onto the game, um, which was, I think it was Chris Avalon? Um, yeah, yeah, that I sounds thinking? about right, yeah. Um... I think he's the guy, if he is who I'm thinking he is, and he was the game director on um, uh, Fallout New Vegas, uh, he basically wanted a much more brutal version um, of Fallout New Vegas. Um, and, uh, and they added this, uh, they added this system to account for that, basically. Um, and I feel like I wish Baldur's Gate had something kind of along those lines, right? Like one that puts some, you know, it it, it puts some sort of uh, like timer on when you're doing stuff so you can't short rest all the time, right? Um, or it puts some sort of restriction on when you can go to camp, right? You can only go to camp when you go outside and you walk away from like a dangerous location or something kind of along those sorts of lines. Um, that would be kind of representative a little bit of how Kingmaker yeah, are, did it, which I tend are, to Are you enjoy. sure that's not the case? Just because like I have not looked anything up, so maybe I'm totally wrong. But like I am laboring under the fear that I'm going to long rest too many times and then like a thing that is near a ritual that is nearing completion um, will complete without me having done anything about it. Uh, you tell me that never happens. I'll believe you, but I'm just, you know, I, to be fair, I don't know. I don't long rest. So yeah. I, I, if it, that, you know, maybe there is a ticking clock, I guess. Um, Lou says it happens. It happens. Okay. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> Uh, there's a specific act one clock that ticks. Who knew? I am kind of interested in what the world looks like. And someone will die if you long rest too many times. Holy I shit. That's also that interesting. I bet you I know who that is. <laughs> I had to back up half an hour because of it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, part of it is like the, 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 um, I guess part of it is the philosophy. Uh, there are also some key dialogue pieces, right? Um, uh, that pop up where someone has told me, hey, you know, you need to not do this thing, right? Um, because if you keep, if, you, or you, you need to do this thing faster, is really what, I was, what, he, what he was saying. Um, and, uh, you know, th some of that stuff kind of like spurs you on. But yeah, I want to say probably in my game with Rachel, we're pro we probably only re like long rested like four or five times. Um, 
it's very common for us to clear a to clear a dungeon up to a really difficult fight and then go okay let's long rest and tackle this thing right um and we then tackle the hardest fight and then go on and clear more you know dungeon basically interesting uh uh, long I long rested two times in four hours last night. You'd hate me, you know. I, uh, I, I don't know what to tell you. You're playing a very different sort of game than than me, and that's fair enough. Uh, interesting. So something I just want to share before we, we get off this um, is uh, there is an encounter very early on, like after the intro, where there's like a uh, an elephant on the ground, and you talk to it. Um, and uh -huh. I rolled a critical one on on the check to resist that and so when i reloaded i just had a stereo and shoot it <laughs> without walking up to it because i was like fuck this um do you it, know what the critical one did yeah no it gamed over it games you over like really yeah he like sucks your face then you, it's like game over you died oh it, my god yeah um although to come to think of it now that i know how the controls work i bet you i could have switched to a different party member and had them like beat him up. But they were just standing there. I'm like, why aren't you doing anything? Um, uh, but yeah, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a fun, it's fun. I also have like made decisions based on like characters. I like, like, mm -hmm. like I am only running Gale cause I think he's cool. I like probably should be running a in that slot, but he's kind of a dickhead and I don't like him. Um, so. I should I should be running Gale because he looks like me. That's the thing about Gale that I think is funny. <laughs> the thing about I just, I just think Gale's a bro. Gale's like my mm. Gale's like my favorite bro, and I don't care that we're both wizards. We're gonna be bro wizards, and we're gonna bro it out. Um, yeah, I mean it's interesting. I'm playing uh, so I'm playing a road. Rich is playing a bard. Um, she's running Carlac mostly in uh, as as like her extra what, so, party so member. But I swap around a lot. What in your solo game? What's your party? Do well, I don't really have a solo game. Okay. Is the thing, the, my solo game is the game I play with Rachel. Um, okay, but, uh, but I think I think if I were to play a solo game, I don't know. It depends. It depends on what my base class would be. Um, I've done a lot of stuff that's fun. Honestly, maybe the most fun I've really had. I, I sneak sneak attacking stuff is really great, um, and I would highly recommend a rogue playthrough just because like being able to systematize some of the stealth rules is so good for D&D, right? Like I think one of the hard things about tabletop D&D is um a rogue's ability to re-enter stealth and find hiding advantage in uh in combat, but because a computer can just show you enemy sight lines, right? You it, you it can show you, "Oh, this is low light." right and it's out of sight of everybody else so what you can do is you can dash out of everybody's eye line and go back into stealth right and then get another pot shot off and, and trigger a sneak attack and being able to do that has been really like fun and compelling because it does make you feel like the um um i don't know what i would call it the hit and run sort of sneak attack skirmishing rogue that that I that I've wanted to be. But I think the most fun I've had in terms of character is uh is I just played a fighter. We did that in the evil game or whatever. Um and my fighter is just brutally powerful and very strong and he takes hits real good and he runs into combat and he beats people up with a great sword. Like a lot of this is because I had a hunch that something was cool and it ended up being even cooler than I thought. I won't spoil it, obviously. Um, or actually, maybe I should spoil it because you would have missed it. We killed the demon in the first, or sorry, the devil in the first encounter. It's that level eight devil. He's fighting the mind flayer. Yeah, yeah. When we did that, I was like, I wonder if we can kill that guy. 
And then, and then we decided to all just like sit on top of him and kill him. And when you do, you can pick up his great sword, which is an ever burning great sword that has fire damage attached to it, right? So it's like a super powerful weapon for a, a level one fighter to have. Um, and that stuff has been like fun, but I don't know. I think maybe in that sense, I would probably carry, I, you know, I'd probably carry Asterion just because you need a rogue, um, something to do some lock picking. Um, I like having somebody in melee with me would maybe be Carlac, maybe Will. I would do Will instead of Carlac, and then I would maybe do. Um, have you have you played Kale. much of Carlac and like so the nice thing about long resting is it advances storylines. Have you done mm -hmm. much of the Carlac Will storyline because that's fun. Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, we did some of that stuff, which was really interesting. Uh, we fucked up some stuff with Carlac. Carlac pretty clearly is looking for a specific NPC, and I knew exactly what NPC she was looking for. But we had already completed that guy's quest, and he was like, "See you in Baldur's Gate." <laughs> I was like, "Oh well, I guess we're not dealing with this until later." Yeah, no, I I went. I I don't have a quest from him. Interestingly, um, I uh, for who Carlac. No, no, for the I'm sorry. the guy that Carlac you talked to for Carlac. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, well, is it's not a quest from him. It is a quest that surrounds him. Oh, okay, that makes I sense. Guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you complete the quest surrounding him, he he gets out of dodge, which okay. is pretty funny. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. My new thing is we have been trying to figure out. I, I don't know. I won't spoil too much stuff. Have you have you done? Uh, do you know about the druid? Um, they talk about the master who the goblins took prisoner, Halsin. Yes, I know about him, and I suspect um, my – so I don't know, so this doesn't count as a spoiler, but when Lou said somebody dies if you rest too many times, that's who I think is going to die if I rest too many times. He's, mm. the, log he's the logical one to me. Um, I See, I do think he's a companion, but we haven't figured out how to make him a companion, and I do think we have fucked up the quest um, because he doesn't have the option to join like our party. He's in the camp. And he has companion like voice options, but he can never actually get added to our party. Um, and his quest is still open, right? Um, and it's displaying some text that doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, oh, we must have fucked up this quest trigger somehow, where his quest never completed, and um, he never got added to the party. My theory is he's the bear. I fuck. Which, uh, you know, that would, yep. make sense. that would make some sense. Yeah, I mean, it might also be, I'm also thinking he is maybe a companion that only opens up on Act 2, which would make sense to me. Um, well, the, inter the other interesting thing is we opened up, uh, we did the evil campaign um, where we sided with the goblins against the druids, which was pretty funny. And uh, the evil goblin drow, I think, is also a companion. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure she joins the party because of how stuff works out stuff works out with her but yeah i don't know man there's there's a lot to talk about we'll obviously get really big into it i don't know that next week is appropriate i'm actually not going to be able to play basically at all this this coming week but um i feel like i want to come to the game when we have like put a lot of time into it or like deep into act two maybe have beaten the game i don't know what that would look like buddy buddy you were what? talking about skyrim you know what comes out in 23 days oh starfield yes. true whoa I was saying, Huge. Like, and that's approximately, this is what, this is like the seventh year of this podcast. I don't know if you remember, yeah. but like our first episode was like Hype 4, Fallout 4. Oh, that's true. And then Fallout 4 really disappointed me. Yeah. yeah Famously yeah. one of my most disappointing games, even though I've put like 150 hours into that yeah. game. Maybe 200 hours into that game because I went and I did a second playthrough after all the DLC had been released. Yeah. No, I, um, I, you know, given what Baldur's Gate is, like, I. I have heard rumors about Starfield for like like Starfield might be like Todd's 
magnum opus, right? Or at least it's what he wants it to be. Um, I want, I like, I I hope it's good. We'll see. I also haven't seen anything about Starfield, really, right? Like, yeah, me neither. I I also hope it's good. I think it's not going to be good. I am I'm a, a little bit of a doomer on Starfield. Um, because I haven't seen all that much of it, um, but it's possible. Hey, you know, it could yeah. be the thing. The thing that I like about it is it has that core aesthetic that is just so fun, right? Of just a guy in a spaceship going yeah. to planets, doing cool shit, right? Um, that seems like a good time, right? Uh, we obviously did a whole podcast about how just that fantasy is like really alluring uh, for for kind of like stories. The, uh, is Starfield on Steam? What can I see about it on Steam? It's on PC Game Pass, which is how I'm going to be playing it. Um, oh, I guess it will be on Game Pass. I guess I will play it. Wait, what? Uh, Am I looking at Starfield footage right now? They have a developer thing with 36,000 people watching. Maybe, are we are we over is there like starfield news happening right now that we don't know about this can't possibly be starfield i must be looking at elder scrolls online right like i'm looking at basically an mmo boss like raid fight uh do, do. this is previously aired starfield direct i'm now seeing Yeah. Yeah, I mean like I don't I don't know what I'm supposed to get from these screenshots is part of my thing, right? Like what am I learning about this game from these um from these screenshots that I'm looking at? It's funny. This is like the exact opposite of the kinds of screenshots that I tell our developers to give me when we're publishing games. Like players don't want atmospheric vibes screenshots. They want crunchy screenshots about like you what does the UI look like? Right. What is uh what is like a moment of true full gameplay, right? Like what is the what does it look like when stuff is like busy on screen? Um Yeah. The my my only my, the reason I am not a doomer about Starfield is my understanding is that this is this is Todd's baby. And I don't think Todd will like let it come out bad. But you know You know what? Fair enough. There's some gifts later on in the store page that do tell me a little bit, which I think is kind of interesting. Um and uh, you know, just a guy, a guy and his bros in a spaceship is basically Mass Effect. That's what I want. That's <laughs> what I want in my life. <laughs> oh, I was. You know, it's funny. We were talking about. Um, I mean, Lou in the chat is talking about sex things. We were talking about romance, and I think romance is typically bad in most uh, in most of these RPGs. Um, I, don't, I I have a weird thing about this. I feel like I'm watching. Have you ever seen like creepy ASMR? I'm sorry, I shouldn't call these creepy. ASMR, um, like girlfriend videos. Have you ever seen any of these yeah, like on yeah, YouTube yeah. or something? Yeah, where it's just like a girl and she is just like talking to you in ASMR, and it's like it is. It you know what it is? It's the thing I said about um, uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, right? Where I talked about the AI girlfriend in that in that movie and he fucks the ai girlfriend in that movie right and i said at the time that i thought that this was a really smart rebuttal to that one weird movie about um the uh, guy her? fucking his computer yeah her right in her he doesn't fuck the computer right he thinks it's too weird he doesn't go through with it and i was like i think humanity humans are too depraved for that shit he would have fucked her okay that would have happened right and that's what 20, he played right 2049 does right and i think that's 
that, that I get that same creepy feeling sometimes when I'm going through these romances in like Baldur's Gate being the most recent sort of example. And I think Mass Effect changed that. Mass Effect is very different. But I think the thing that's different about Mass Effect is I am not truly role-playing. I'm not like creating a character that is a cipher for me, right? I'm sort of gently guiding Shepard through their choices, right? Um through through the through the kind of like galaxy, right? When I choose a dialogue option on Shepard, Shepard says more words than the words I tell Shepard to say, right? Because it is a character with more thoughts in their brain than yeah. you know, just yeah. That it was very easy for me to sink into the romances and go deep on the romances in there because I think that there's a, there's there's chemistry when it's two people and they're two characters. It's the same way that I watch Romeo and Juliet, right? And I can get in, I can sure. get into those yeah. those things. The romances in Baldur's Gate or other games that are similar to it, um, Dragon Age Origins would be another good example. They always come off very weird to me, and I think maybe it's because the main character isn't voice acted, so. I'm not watching a conversation. I'm having someone s like sort of do ASMR to me. And I just find that very creepy and weird. And it's hard for me to get deep into the romance of like any of these kinds of games. Yep. No, that makes, that makes sense to me. Um, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't gotten that deep in any of them. Um, <laughs> okay. Mostly because it feels weird. It's like, you know, like I have had several options where it's like, you know, it's like Carlac. Too hot to touch, like literally, right? Like, and like, I did some of her quest line, and it takes like a couple steps. Like, it takes like another step past where I'm at to like make her like. And she's like, I just want a hug. And like, one of my actions was like, I still can't touch you. Or like, one of my voices I was like, Oh, I can't say that. That feels fucking weird, right? Like, I I will feel icky if I say that, right? Like, um, yeah. I also think that the dialogue options are like. I sort of think these characters are a little too pushy, right? Um, like, I got the romance option from Late Cell very quickly. And I was, like, surprised, to be honest. It kind of goes from, like, oh, yeah, we're buds. We're companions on this party. Let's fuck. And I'm just like, blah, 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 slow down, you know? <laughs> Wine and die in the guy first, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, mean, I think it doesn't help that, like, several of the characters, like, you know, like, like, Asterion and Shadowheart are, like, you know, like, mm, it's good to do lots of fucks and not get in love, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, true. Like, Asterion immediately came on to me and I was like, oh, you know what, buddy? You tried to slip my throat a half an hour ago. No. Were um, you like threatened to slip my throat? Did you, did you let Asterion bite you? Did you get, did you get the vampire bite? No. I mean, I, when I like fought him off, like my, like my, my punch wizard has high strength. So I fought him off when he tried to like stab me. <laughs> um, oh, I never got him trying to stab me. He oh, so, so like when, when he first calls over to you, he's like, there's a, imp oh, over there. I, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so he like, and I failed the perception check, and he got me, like, and so I was like, fuck you. Uh, and, you know, um, and because of that, I don't want him in my party anymore because he's kind of a dick. Um, so now that you have a high strength, are you shoving people off of cliffs? How's yes. shoving people going for shoving you? People. <laughs> shoving and jumping is great. Um, yeah. Uh, I, the, the funniest thing is uh, I have been shoved to my deaths a couple of times, and I'm just like, this is such bullshit, right? Like, and it's like, it's like 
me, you know, like reaping, like or sowing. Fuck yeah, this is awesome, right? Me reaping. Oh, this sucks. I'm so mad. Lou, Lou mentioned Spider Mommy in the chat before, and I was like, I was so mad because it was like I had I had her on an edge. I'm like, oh boy, time to push her off. It's like too big to show. I was like, bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, I was I was I had Will in my party for a while, um, and as a warlock, you can give him a uh, a push on his Eldritch blasts, and I was just becoming a push monster with this guy, where it was just like oh, I'm just gonna push everybody off of everything, right? Uh, but then like wh when you when you push people into chasms, you obviously don't get their shit, and I was like, maybe we should stop pushing people into like <laughs> yeah that's why i like the spider area because there are a lot of um like you could just like hit the spider web bridges i did that a lot um and like i did a fair amount of damage to the spider boss that way um yeah when they fall yeah yeah well you're not into anything just like they fall on the ground and it does does some damage um nice uh yeah um yeah, well, we're almost like at the end of even our extended time. Uh, what else? True. I mean, I guess our weeks was a lot of was a lot of Baldur's Gate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, I played some more Street Fighter. I fought the streets. Um, I've been playing a bunch of Hearthstone. Warriors, the worst second Hearthstone. I'm mad about it. Oh God, it happened again. They tried to make Control Warrior good, and it's not good. I'm sorry. I feel I your know. pain. <sighs> I have been contemplating building just the. So there is, I think I've shared it with you. There's a video by MTG Remy um, mm. called Supreme Verdict that it came out like two or three months ago at this point. Um, and it's basically a song. It's like an original song about how like Azorius is the greatest. And the last time he did a song that got stuck in my head, I built the, um, the, the, my commander deck that, uh, the ramp commander deck. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the islands guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the tyrant gyre i think yeah yes yeah 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 ac the guy or tyrant yes um and so now i just kind of want to build a like a filthy azorius deck azorius commander <sighs> deck whose job like who won't even try and win and will just make everybody miserable there is a deck that do you know have you ever heard the term stacks i so i know so, so the difference is is stacks attempts to win right it, it attempts to like build solitaire and win right I'm just talking about a deck. Like, first of all, I don't think you can. Can you run stacks in Commander? I thought that was like a modern thing, or like a like a. No, yeah, you can. Well, uh, it, it is different. Um, it's some different pieces. Okay. I don't think all of stacks the the tra traditional stacks is um is available to you in Commander because some stuff I think is banned, um, in Commander. But like, stacks is just the the arc. It, it is it's like calling a type a deck burn, right? Right, right. A stacks deck is any deck that just tries to lock your opponent out by, right, so you know, making it impossible for them to play anything. So, but sorry, but not not that like like the specific cards be locked out, but like. You can't be reliable enough to like get like I to get stacks to like go off in a consistently winnable way um, was my was my thought. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, there, it's it's a certain amount of redundancy. It's a certain amount of just sure. kind of like finding different stacks pieces that aren't necessarily stacks pieces, right? Um, like Trinisphere is one which I don't think it would get any play in modern, uh, but like is uh, Trinis Trinisphere says. Um, Anything played for less than three CMC gets played f for three, right? So if like if you want to play a um, I don't know a uh, what's like a shock, you have to pay two in a red instead of just a red, right? It just taxes really low cost stuff. Um, uh, obviously, there's like winter orb and shit like that. Um, 
Oh, winter orb. Yeah, they can't have more than one land during there. Like that's a pretty. There's there's a lot of tutor stuff. Right, um, right. Let me just see. Stacks commanders. Huh. I assume that like winter orb would be expensive. It is not. Has it been uh, reprinted a bunch? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the best uh, the best stacks commander is blue is is blue white uh, Grand Arbiter, Arbiter Augustine, uh, <laughs> which just makes everything your opponents cast cost one more to one oh, more to yeah. cast. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, the, from the lore of what Supreme Verdict is coming because Supreme Verdict I think is from a Ravnica set and it is an Azorius spell. Um, Grand Arbiter Augustine is obviously the, um, the leader of the Azorius. I believe that Grand Arbiter <coughs> Augustine is also like expensive. Oh no, it's not that expensive. Hmm. Yeah, he's like two dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, now you've given me bad ideas to go build like the the, the most filthy. I, I don't even want to like. There is a part of there, who would want to play with you. Come on, there, like there, there, there is like. The like the Dave inside of me that just like wants to come out and like you know, be like fuck you, fuck you, um, just, <laughs> especially since like Josh you know fucked me when we were playing our, our sealed deck. Uh, and just like sometimes some some men, some men just want to watch the world burn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, but yes, I recommend the song "Supreme Verdict." By MTG Remy to everyone. I'll put a link in the description if I remember. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, I don't know. I haven't been doing a ton else of super deep relevance. Um, my girlfriend's cats are here. They're nice. I like how, do you, how are you? How are you enjoying some cats? Uh, are we gonna watch Blue Beetle? Blue Beetle came out over the weekend. Oh, what? It's already out. I, oh man, shows you how like where my mind's at. Maybe maybe this week we should try and do Blue Beetle, and then we'll do Blue Beetle on Monday because I can probably fit a movie, but I'm not gonna play like any fucking Baldur's Gate. I don't okay. think this whole week. And then after that, maybe we can do our Baldur's Gate episode after doing a little bit more. Yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. Um, when does Aquaman come out? Uh, Aquaman is Christmas. Okay. All right, well. Uh oh. Somebody. Oh, no. Yeah, December 20th. Yep, all right, well. Uh, you do anything else for your week you want to talk about? I don't know. I mean, I've been playing a lot of Hearthstone. Honestly, I've been playing Battlegrounds, and uh, it's pretty bad for me. I'm at the point where I, I had a lot of fun with Battlegrounds when I was winning all the time. Um, and uh, I. Um, stopped winning and stopped having fun. I stopped winning and uh, I got what's my highest rating? I got to sixty three eighty six. Seems to be the highest my rating had uh, had ever had ever gotten. Six thousand rating is actually pretty pretty damn high to be honest. Uh, most uh, battleground streamers that I was paying attention to seemed to kind of be in that zone. Uh, but my climb up to six k rating uh, was just like it was like full of like wins. Um, and I think that's just like what I'm like dealing with is, is the like, oh, it was so fun. Just like stomping on these kids. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, 
kind of similarly, I am starting to hit the wall in Street Fighter. I'm at like gold three, and I need to put in some serious lap time. And it's just kind of like, well, but I only have like a little bit of time to put into it. So I want to like actually play matches, but I need to like sit down and put the, get the lap time in. By the way, I'm, I'm looking at, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking on my Firestone, my, my Battlegrounds thing. My first game in Battlegrounds, I got first place. Uh, my second game, I got first place. Third game, second, fourth game, fourth, then First, third, first, third, third, second, first, 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 second. It's just like <laughs> clearly what happened. Wow. I literally won every game I played up to 4K rating. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That, so clearly what was happening was I was just like, I got really sucked in because it was just so easy to win, I guess, at that, at that lower MMR. <clears throat> Fair enough. Like, that's the way to do it, right? You know, I guess so. Yeah. So. Have you seen anything about Project L? This is the League of Legends fighting Oh, so game. yeah. Yes, well, he was at Evo, right? Did yeah. you? Um, uh, uh, I was at Gen Con. Are you? But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, are you Are you going to go hard for it? Is that Is that your shit? I am excited because so it's simple execution. So it's a hyper fighter, right? Like, there's like all sorts of mechanical complexity that isn't execution based. Um, the thing I am so excited for is the thing that everybody has always said about fighting games versus like League of Legends is you can't blame your teammates. It's always on you. There is two on two in League of Legends. Yeah. It's a tag fighter and each person plays one side of the tag. The amount of, they managed to put League of Legends salt into fighting games, <laughs> which is already salty, right? Like <laughs> The salt is going, I am so excited. For just the <clears throat> heinous amount of scrub quotes that is going to come out of this fucking game. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Honestly, we will, I will maybe play that game when it does come out. I maybe play that game with you because Yasuo's in it, right? That yeah, was the big Yasuo. reveal at Evo is that Yasuo. Uh, I'm sure he's impossible. I'm going to be dog shit, but, you know, yeah, he's well, my so favorite character. This is the thing, right? Like, it's about, it's a lot about technical knowledge, right? And a lot about, like, it's, it's about, so, somebody has always, or a thing I've heard bounced around is, like Street Fighter is like speed chess with an execution component, right? The execution component is so minimal in in Project L because it's all like direction. It's it's like smash inputs basically, right? Um, and there's not a lot of like extra tech that you can get in a 2D fighter style thing, like on like Smash Brothers, yeah. which has like advanced tech to it. Um, and so I am super excited just to see how it all like to to see how it works. It's like you watch some of the gameplay. It's like like if you've ever seen like Marvel vs. Capcom or Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom or MVC three, like these are like one or two touch games. Meaning like meaning like the number of times you need to get hit before you die is relatively low, right? And there's just like so many f like gnarly movement options, right? That like um, they've ma it seems like they've managed to develop a game that has like the deep complexity of a traditional fighting game while also being able to sh shave off all of that execution requirement. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for, for that. Also, it's free, right? Like, we're, we all expect it to be free. I don't think they're going to charge for it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, I will dip my, I will definitely give it a, give it a try. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, I did see also in fighting game news that they're doing another Nickelodeon all-star brawl. Yeah. That they're also looks a, very good. A, a yeah. Two. Yeah. 
Um, which is interesting. Like they, uh, Squidward's going to be one of the characters, apparently. So I, I'm told people are hyped for it. I do. I couldn't possibly understand. I was reading these Twitter threads, and I was just like, God, everybody like. I was like, people like this game, but apparently the first one got a decent fan base. Um, so, so, so the <laughs> the first one was done. I think it's done by the people who, do, who did Smash City, which is like another kind of like mm. small but popular um, Smash type, um, and. One was fun, but it lacked the it lacked like lacked some stuff like voice acting and whatever. Um, and so I think people are hoping that two delivers on the promise, like on on the promise of one essentially. Um, yeah, I mean, weird. I definitely want to hear SpongeBob laugh at me with his taunt button as he shoots me off the edge or whatever. Um, it's funny because like the other one with the the WB game, why can't I remember the name of it? Like like uh, uh, multiverses. Mul- yeah, multiverses. Like. That kind of sort of got unreleased. Um, really? Well, no. So it is. It was in beta, and now it is out of beta, and it's going to come into full release sometime next year, is what they say. And everybody's kind of like, "Huh, weird." Because um, people spent like real money on it, right? Like, um, yeah, right. Like, you know, hearts out to Rumbleverse, which you know refunded everybody's money and definitely shut itself down. But um, you know. It'll be interesting to see. Like, you know, it's interesting that these kind of, like, games that had a lot of hype around them, they were, like, fun to play, just, like, didn't have a ton of staying power, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things I remember was Black Adam came out um, in multiverses uh, right alongside the movie. And I was like, oh, this is actually pretty interesting. Like, that, that's a pretty compelling sort of thing that you can do, right, is when a big movie comes out, you can put a... You know, you could put out a a, th- a new guy who ties into that. Yeah, sort yeah. Because like stuff. the first version um, that was kind of like LeBron James from like Looney Tunes or from uh, Space Jam. Oh right, yeah, from Space Jam. Yeah, I did actually forget about that. That's true. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, true. Last played a year ago for me. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, you can't play it now, right? Like, I guess maybe maybe they wanted to get like maybe they didn't want to have to release an Ezra Miller character. That's why they they unreleased it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Holy fuck. Um, it's brutal. Yeah. Well, <sighs> we're at time, and I should probably go. So I'm going to call it here, unless you have anything else you want to talk about. Uh, no, I'm good. Yeah, let's All right. Go. Well, if uh, you'd like to email, about, email about us about any of the things we talked about on this podcast, you can email us at dripsfullygames.com or podcast.dripsfullygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash dripsfullygames or youtube.com slash at some games. These go out live. Uh, rate, review us, and everywhere you find podcasts. All the links are down in the description. Buddy, you have anything you're looking to promote? Uh, I have nothing I'm looking to promote. This All right. Week. Awesome. Uh, well, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.